Tech Central. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. Hello there and welcome to Tech Radio, the number one Irish tech podcast with you every Friday morning with your favourite podcasting app or Friday evenings on RTE Radio. My name is Dusty Rhodes. You're welcome to show number 913. Joined as always by our editor-in-chief, Niall Kitson. Niall, I suppose the, the big story that everybody's talking about is Mr. Flash, Elon Musk, off doing crazy things. Mr. Flash, Tony Stark himself, Elon Musk. Uh, has has stunned the world of social media by buying 9.2% of Twitter. He is now its largest shareholder. Uh, so the question is, what now? Uh, what what are we going to do? Um, as we know, Elon Musk is a proponent of what they call Web3, which is the decentralized internet, um, which is basically Web1, was, you know, us going on discussion forums and reading things and that sort of thing. Web 2 was sort of responsive applications, getting things mobile into your hand, the introduction of user-generated content and big tech managing everything. Web 3 is what they're going to call the decentralized web. And it's basically the internet is whatever you decide it's going to be. So... It, it's basically build your own bubble and live in it and never have to be challenged about anything. So essentially is the metaverse, that is the thing everybody's talking about, is the metaverse web 3.0? The, web, the metaverse, because it is governed by Facebook, is a web 2.0 application. Oh. It's things like uh, blockchain that's a good example of Web3 because ah. it crosses borders and it's unregulated. And it's that nature of being unregulated is uh, is the cornerstone of Web3. So when you have somebody coming in who says, yeah, I'm going to buy Twitter, and he brings this ethos with him, if he decides to, what do you start doing? Well, you start unbanning an awful lot of people uh, who you thought would have been you know, toxic or, you know, not pleasant to be around or what have you. People that were banished from the platform altogether for various reasons uh, are now welcomed back into the platform. And it's up to you to decide whether you want to put up with them or not. So does this include uh, Donald Trump? I was not going to mention the former guy by name. (laughs) But But, are are you saying Web 3.0 is going to welcome him with open arms? Yeah, by its nature, that's what's going to happen. Wow. Well, uh, I heard that. I heard his truth, uh, his own social network called Truth, is having a bit of difficulty getting up and running technically wise. And now hmm. certain senior people are starting to um, uh, jump ship. Yeah, he's lost two of his big tech hires. Hmm. And the problem was that uh, we were promised, um, well, basically the app was released too soon. It wasn't ready. Yeah, Uh, we were told it would be, you know, all the kinks would be ironed out by the end of March. Doesn't seem to have been the case. And there is also a very large waiting list of people to get on it uh, who haven't been able to. Mm. Uh, And point three, Donald Trump himself doesn't seem to use it. (laughs) For goodness. Hey, there you go. That in my head is what Web.3 is about. 
you don't have to wait. Yeah. yeah. No queues well, in Web.3. Wouldn't that be great? That, that would be fantastic. Okay, so uh, here's the big thing, though. Um, our first uh, big announcement of the Elon Musk era, if you will. Um, what is the one thing everybody wants out of Twitter? To be able to take back something that you've said. You're almost there because you can, you can delete tweets. Of course, it stays on the internet somewhere. Somehow. Yeah, but then you've got to put it up again and all that kind of stuff and somebody can take yeah. a screenshot and yada, yada, yada. So what's, what's, the most, what's more important than being able to delete something? What if you edit it? Editing it. Twitter has not had an edit button before. And Elon Musk said, uh, moves in. All of a sudden, there's a statement from Twitter. Yeah, we're working on an edit button. The one thing people have been crying out for, for as long as I can remember. Uh, and it looks like it's going to happen. Uh, and I'm here for it. So uh, with Elon uh, buying 9.2% and making him the biggest single shareholder in Twitter, does this mean he's mm. going to be able to sit on the board or is this purely oh, yeah. an investment for him? Well, that's a good question as well. Uh, I can't imagine him being a, a silent investor. <laughs> Not Elon. I'm, I'm sure he's got ideas for what the platform can do. And I'm sure it's no coincidence that uh, Twitter has made this announcement um, pretty much no sooner has he has he come in. Mm. So I think we'll certainly see more changes uh, to the platform. Whether it does go with this sort of Web3 philosophy is going to be really interesting because, as we know, in the States, they're trying to regulate big tech more and uh, regulate free speech. But under Web3, if you're an anti-vaxxer, you don't ever have to be exposed to pro-vaccine uh, information. Anti-vax, you're, you're so 2021, Niall. It, it'll be I a know. new issue that, that the people will be banned from talking about in public. Well, anyway, yeah. that's that's uh, our Elon, okay, in on Twitter. Uh, a very interesting survey out this week um, from Microsoft Ireland, because one thing we have been talking about 2022 and post-COVID and all that kind of stuff is the great resignation, where apparently mm. everybody loves working at home, so they're all going to quit their jobs until they get what they want. Well, here's the thing, and th this was Microsoft's annual work trends index, and they, they surveyed 600 people across Ireland, uh, across, across sectors, so it's not tech-specific. And in our sort of utopian world, we were viewing either completely working from home or hybrid, hybrid probably being the, the best of both worlds. And I guess given the increases in fuel costs and energy costs, certainly something very important to look at. Uh, and we all thought this would be this brave new world where we would be much happier because we'd have much more control over where we work. Not so. Not so. Uh, but, I mean, Europe is on the case with some of this stuff because we do have, uh, the. we don't quite have the right to disconnect, but we have the right to ask to disconnect. <laughs> oh, right. Okay, so there, there is the subtle difference. Well, it is there very is hard when you are working from home to actually disconnect. And there's one mm. lady I know who's brilliant at it in that, you know, she has her, her spare room or whatever and, and that that's her desk, but she has mm. a work-specific mobile mm. and a work-specific laptop. And come six in the evening, whatever it is, mobile is turned off, laptop uh, is, is shut and that's it. Bump. Mm -hmm. She forgets about it until uh, 9 a.m. the next day. Yeah, and that's that's the most healthy way to mm. conduct yourself. Because I've are seen, a lot of people doing this? 
Well, you know what? Apparently a third of people are finding it hard to disconnect from work. And I think a big chunk of that is down to that convenience. You're sitting at your table, you don't have the commute already, so you've got a little bit more energy. And you know, there's something just 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 something small over there. You can you can fix it. Um, because you're not under that same sort of sense of I've got to get out here by half five. I got I gotta I gotta beat the traffic, I got to pick up the kids, I got to do whole bunch of things that just disappeared during the pandemic. And now people are coming back and they're realizing that actually people are working regular days now more than they did. Uh, And I'm still working later because I'm still at the same desk that I started the day with, but I have no commute. I have no natural break in the day. So uh, uh, related to which is the fact that apparently a quarter of respondents said they felt either demotivated or uninspired and I think this is because there there is that sort of bell jar effect um, where you're just there on your own and there's nobody there to come over to you during the day and say, ah, how are you mm. doing? You know, I, we've talked so much about the removal of, of the water cooler moment. Um, and, and it seems that they, they actually do serve good. Uh, they serve a good purpose. We're all social animals. And, you know, kind of mm. even that little, you know, kind of seeing somebody, hello, how are you? And then moving on or even getting mm. out to the shops. But it is yeah. quite difficult when you're at home all day, every day, and then you finish up work and you're still at home <laughs> in the yeah. evening on your own, or maybe it's the same people who've been in the house all day. And if that is going mm. on day after day after day, I, I can understand how it would affect, it's always going to affect a certain proportion of people. And you might think, you know, five, maybe 10%, but for 25% of people to be demotivated or uninspired is is not good. Um, another thing from the index was they looked at the reason why people were leaving their roles. Mm, yeah. What came out of that? Yeah, uh, apparently workplace culture uh, is 59% of people just said, you know what, uh, if I don't like where I work, I'm not. I'm just not going to stay there because I don't have to. It's a, it's a buoyant market. Mm. Um, half of people said, you know what, if flexi, flexi hours, that's a deal maker now. Mm-hmm. That's it. If you want to make use of my talents, my revenue generating um, uh, <laughs> abilities, because, hey, that's that's what we all are. Yeah. Um, if you can't look after me, well, guess what? I'm out of here. There's plenty of work out there for talented people like myself. Mm. Uh, and also 43 percent, which I, I thought this was a, a fascinating figure. Forty three percent consider benefits that promote positive health and well-being to be deal breakers in choosing a job. No more of this, you know, you remember um, Metropolis where you had people going into the factory with their heads bowed, mm. going in one end and the shift changing, come out the other. It's it's totally flipped. It's a, it's a worker's market. Do you think we're going uh, to find moment. ourselves, do you think we're going to find ourselves in a position like in China where you've, I've only seen this on television, where Chinese workers go to the factory or wherever it is that they work and then they do 20 minutes worth of exercise collectively and then go mm-hmm. into work. Do you think that's what Irish people want when they talk you, about positive health and well-being in the workplace? Well, I, I don't think that sort of style goes over in Ireland because we do still have our our rebel streak, you know, yeah. we, we do like a bit of mischief. Perhaps, you know, uh, uh, that wouldn't work. That wouldn't fly in Ireland. But seeing as you've raised the issue of different cultures, mm. have you seen the documentary uh, American Factory? 
on Netflix. No, no American it's Factory. Really good, okay. and it's it's about. Um, I can't remember which city it is in America. It was one of the big motor cities, which Detroit springs to mind when you say motor city. Uh, so I, I'm going to guess. Uh, could be wrong. Open to correction. And uh, basically, General Motors closed down. It was a factory that employed 20,000 people. Boom. Local economy, gone. Um, so what do you do? Like, there's lots of people left behind. Prospects are not good. You've also got this giant facility there sitting there doing nothing. So a Chinese factory that make um, windscreens, uh, car glass, came along and they said, we'll take that. And, uh, you know, we've got a very specific work culture, uh, which we'll be bringing with us. So we'll have some of our employees uh, who have certain skills and et cetera, et cetera. And we will show the Americans how to work and, you know, how to buy into what we do and the way we do it. Um, and we will be just as successful in America as we have been in China in terms of, you know, output and dedication and all these sorts of things. And the culture clash almost from day one is incredible because just the individualistic streak of the American, the idea of being your own person, of being self-reliant, just does not jive with the idea of, the company is looking out for you. The company above all, you you need you can live your entire life within the company, uh, and that's all you need to worry about. It's just two cultures completely at, at odds with each other, and you see at the same time the Chinese managers are coming in and going. In uh, output here could be, and they're speaking in Chinese right beside the American guys. You haven't a clue what they're saying, so I won't spoil what happens. But by the end of the documentary, new technology is coming and it's not, things aren't looking well for the Americans. It picked up an Oscar a couple of years ago uh, and it's it's an absolutely fascinating documentary. It's just about, you know, different cultures, different styles of working. And uh, yeah, American Factory, give it a watch. We'll keep an eye on that on Netflix. Listen, Niall, thanks for keeping us up to date with what's happening in the news. As always, you can get the lowdown on all things tech in Ireland with hourly updates, daily newsletters and more on our website at techcentral.ie. This is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's techcentral.ie. This week, we're talking about retailers who were especially hit hard by the pandemic. So how does a business known for dealing with consumers and customers embrace a new culture of remote working and greater environmental awareness and supply chain instability? Colin Baker is the co-founder of Laptop Lab, and he had a chat with Niall Kitson about how his business has adapted to these changing times, including his response to the ongoing war in Ukraine. Like pretty much every business in Ireland, uh, you've had to make a few changes over the last few years, whether it's, you know, remote working or uh, reevaluating the, the amount of actual uh, office or retail space you're, you're occupying. Tell us a little bit about your own company's journey. That's a very good question, um, Niall. But I suppose in my talks with other business people and other businesses, small and large, I don't know of anybody that hasn't had to adapt 
uh, and hasn't seen medium to large changes as a result of the lockdowns and the pandemic in terms of their client behavior, customer consumer behavior, in terms of how they utilize their own resources, in terms of staffing, location, um, and demands on what they do, whether it's a coffee shop out in the suburbs, a hardware store in the city, or a computer repair business like ours. Um, when lockdown hit initially back in, I think it was March of 2020, wasn't it? Um, there was that great unknown, that that feeling that we were all on a, a bit of a precipice. Um, I thought we were going to have to close um, our business. Now, I work in our main branch in the city centre in South Great George Street. And we have three other locations in Donnybrook, Dunleary and Bray. And they're small outfits uh, in which we repair people's computers and laptops and devices. And I work out of our main branch in George Street, as I say. And I, I genuinely thought we were going to have to close the doors and that was that for the foreseeable. Um, very quickly, um, little um, relationships we'd had over the years with people, individuals in companies, companies themselves, um, and with people in medicine um, and, and in clinics and hospitals, um, very quickly kind of got on to us. And they they said, look, no, please don't close. We need people just to ring you. And we wanted we, we need more office space. We need more office uh, desktop, uh, you know, desktop setup. We need machines and equipment moved and and and, and networked. Um, we need um, and we need all the ancillary services along with that. So security, networking, Wi-Fi, etc., data protection, and uh, so we had a, a certain spike and surge in demand for I suppose our business to business, our tech support side. Um, and then we also had on the, if you want to call it the retail side, um, we're, we're um, big, I suppose, promoters um, of the, the refurbished plan. I know you mentioned before the, the circular uh, economy in terms of reuse. Now, in IT, um, which is pretty much the largest singular human manufactured pile of waste we have, um, and, and of course, it's only growing. Um, we try to promote the idea of repairing your equipment, reusing your equipment, of companies um, when they're finished with equipment, having them refurbished or donating them, um, and, and by whatever means, extending their life and their value and reducing um, the, the, that, that ubiquitous pile of, of technical waste. So in terms of our changes, there was a sudden spike in all in demand across our company. Uh, we made modifications to our stores so that we were able to work from a counter uh, and of course, protected by you know, perspex shields and, and, and gloves and san constant sanitization. Um, and we also uh, decided we'd, we'd uh, ourselves go out to people uh, who were uh, maybe isolating and we needed to collect uh, broken devices or devices that weren't working or deliver new ones. We also set up a little, uh, I suppose, a phone charity, a phone support charity, whereby myself and my brother would in the evening after work, we would return phone calls from, in most cases, elderly isolated people who suddenly needed to use services that they'd no interest in before, you know, WhatsApp, FaceTime, uh, Skype, Zoom, whatever. 
Um, and, and maybe they had to an extent, the, the, you know, they had a phone, a smartphone, or they had a laptop, or they had a computer there, but they never really used these services. So they needed help setting them up. So we set up a little charity line to allow people to do that. Um, I suppose we tried to do a million different things and we didn't do a whole lot of sleeping in the first few months uh, of lockdown. But uh, business-wise, uh, it was good for business. Uh, you know what? I think when you're small, at least you're nimble and agile. It's, there's, it's not that many benef- benefits to being a small business, but one of them is the ability to adapt very quickly. So we can very quickly, you know, there's 15 of us, uh, 13 of us now, and we can very quickly, if something happens, like in, in the case of the lockdown, we can we can have a quick chat and we can say, okay, what do we do? What do we do here? What do we do there? Okay, we do it tomorrow morning. So it's it, it, there's no committees, there's no board members. It's straightforward to create a new website or to modify an office layout or modify how we're doing things. So uh, if, like some businesses who, who benefited to some extent from the lockdown and some who didn't, we were lucky enough in that we benefited and we were able to adapt. Um, subsequently, uh, the, that business to business side, the tech support side grew exponentially. It stabilized after the first six months. And uh, one thing that we're very keen on is keeping things organic. We have no interest, inkling or desire to grow beyond our comfort zones or to to grow beyond what is manageable because we're such a high touch type of business looking after people's technology um, they need to be able to call on us get us and have resolution quickly and cleanly uh, not by someone you know far away they've never met or heard of but by one of us um, within that relationship so it's not something we can expand very very quickly nor do we necessarily want to. So honestly, we're happy with where we are. I very much get the sense that you've you've moved from that sort of retail mindset to, to one of outfitters where you won't just be selling a laptop, you'll be making sure people's entire home offices are up to scratch to make sure there's continuity of operations for, for businesses because they've had to move to remote working. Mm-hmm. Um, how has that uh, cultural change or cultural mindset kind of uh, changed within the business? Because I, I, it's been such a, a, a rapid timetable for you guys to work with in terms of the client base and their change in behavior or in terms of how we've responded to it well i suppose both because you've had clients that have in some cases probably had to rush their digital transformation Mm. uh, and for you guys to be able to go well actually okay here's what you will actually need for a a home office and here's what the long-term um how would you say maintenance roadmap should look like you know Mm. here's how long uh, a laptop should last um these sort of concerns that businesses might necessarily have been hip to in the past yeah well i I think there's a few things that that we found that i mean you just take the simple practice of emailing now you know Simple practice fundamentally is straightforward. You open your email, you sign in, you, you, you know, find the email address of the, the recipient and you send off your email. But actually, the management of business email, just to taking that as a small element and the behavior of that and making sure you've got the right signatures, the right flow, the right access, the right protection of that email um, so that 
that can be used effectively. Remember, most directors and business owners and, and people in business and people working in those business, th- there's never been any training for that when you think. Someone reminded me this of, of this the other day. We all kind of stumbled into using email. No one ever sat us down and said, this is what we should do. And it, it's, a, it's, a, it's such a movable feast over the years and it changes and grows quite quickly. And so even if they did sit us down 10 years ago or five years ago, it would all be different today. So in terms of behavior, we noticed um, and, and still notice that there's a, uh, I suppose, a disparity in what we would call fitness for purpose. Um, so there's, I suppose, a, there's a lot of people out there, and I'm sure they'll recognize this, trying to work away uh, on a laptop um, that, that, you know, it's a pink laptop bought in a, you know, in a, in, a, in a supermarket and it was bought originally for the teenager in the house or whatever. And they're working away on this and they're, they're trying to conduct actual business on this machine on a kitchen table or uh, in, in a workspace at home, which is just totally inappropriate for it. Not only do they not have the right technical solutions, the right routers and firewalls and security, but they don't have just the resilience in the equipment that business requires. And I, th- I suppose that, that, that very large chasm between using a machine in business or using equipment in business and using or, or buying equipment for, I don't know, a, a college student or, or walking into a supermarket and buying a sort of a 499 type machine with a load of bloatware in the background that, that, that's uniquely saleable because it has a nice color. Uh, there's a very big chasm between those two. And, and people will often say, well, why does my company's firewall cost, you know, 5,000 euro, but I can buy this thing on the internet for 49 euro, which purports to do the same thing. It, it's part of that chasm of a difference between business and home use. And I think what happened when COVID came along was that that, that all got muddied and clouded because suddenly people were told, okay, work from home. Well, you know, if they work from home, how does that work for their internet? Does the company have to provide internet? Well, they already have internet. If they have no equipment and the the workplace have a, a PC, but the, you know, the user says, no, I don't want to cart that home. I can't cart that home and it's not going to work from home. I'll just use this laptop I have here. Uh, th- there was a lot of, um, I suppose, um, flailing around, if you like, of both companies and individuals in terms of adapting from what they had in a comfortable, uh, purpose-built workspace like an office. And I think, Niall, when when we talk about the work-from-home arrangement and, and, and how some people really enjoyed it and, and, and it's something they're going to hope to do well into the future, and some companies found it very productive and their hoping to continue that for a long time at infinitum. Um, there's also people and, 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 and organizations that, that have found that it wasn't conducive to, to productivity. It wasn't conducive to data protection, to securing their network and their clients' information. So I, I, I suppose, it, like a lot of these things, it comes down to informing yourself. It comes down to be I, I, ignorance, unfortunately, really isn't permissible, um, particularly in business in Ireland, because, I mean, when you go, kind of grow beyond one or two people, the um, tremendous responsibilities we have under GDPR to not only protect clients' information 
just from, you know, accidental exposure, but from ransomware, as you've discussed before on your podcast, it is incumbent on the the organization, on the whether it's two people or 200 people, to ensure that they've gone to great lengths to protect those interactions, those email flows, who's responsible, who has access, where the information is stored, how it's backed up, uh, and what kind of disaster recovery systems they have in place. That's very important. And, and that, it's not just for an IT person in that company. It's something for everybody in the organization to at least have uh, an awareness uh, of and the implications as it pertains to their own role. So uh, I, I don't think, unfortunately, ignorance isn't isn't bliss in in the case of technology, particularly in business. A lot of it, uh, your own operation at the moment is centered on uh, on repair and and elongating the the lifespan of of equipment, as you as you said there. Do you find that there's a culture shift among businesses now that they don't go, okay, right, I have to go, I have to get fifteen new machines at at expect to, okay, what's on the refurb market that I can make more use of? It depends on the decision makers in those organizations. And I must say, we've, we've had some, um, some organizations, some civil service organizations that you would not think to be progressive um, that came along and because they, well, partially because of the early uh, onset of the lockdowns, they maybe couldn't access their traditional suppliers and maybe that we, we, we've those people to be thankful for as well. But uh, a lot of, I suppose, more progressive decision makers in those organizations or groups um, who've said, you know what, let's have a look at this. And in a lot of cases, they found out through their own experience personally. So we've had a lot of people who say bought a, you know, a Lenovo, a refurbished Lenovo ThinkPad personally or for their brother or for their mother or whatever, you know, over the last few years. And it's the one bit of technology that outlasted everything else. And suddenly they're a decision maker or they're involved in IT in their organization and they're quite influential. And they say, well, hang on a second. There's, there's, there's great advantage both economically, but even in terms of endurance and reliability. We have figures in our industry, Niall, on, on, on reliability. We, we've actually got figures and percentage failure rates uh, on when you sell a piece of equipment, how likely it is to fail inside a year. So there is actually, reliability isn't, and resilience, it's, it's not just a, a notion. It's something that's very carefully studied. And there's a reason, as I say, that business class equipment um, you know, when you're buying it new is uh, often several times the price of what looks similar in the retail space because it's built in terms of its componentry and its life expectancy to be far more enduring. And, and what we promote in terms of factory refurbished commercial grade equipment is uh, second life equipment that a, a, you know, a wealthy corporate has, uh, have a policy whereby, and a lot of them do, whereby they buy new equipment each year or every two years and they have a warranty agreement and that warranty is extremely thorough. And once that warranty has expired, they've no interest in that equipment anymore. They will buy new equipment as an overall cost it, it, you know, it, relative to the cost of failure of equipment, it's uh, it, it, it's it's very minor, and they're happy 
once their data protection is ensured and, and there is absolutely zero chance of data breach, they're happy to give that equipment back to the likes of Lenovo um, to be wiped, uh, graded, refurbished, repaired, recycled, and and resold back in through the likes of ourselves who have the ability at our end to support our end users with the support of Lenovo. So when you're buying refurbished, proper factory refurbished equipment, the warranty isn't just as it was. To some people, the warranty actually ends up being faster. So if we have a warranty machine from us, it's typical turnaround is three days. The average turnaround on a uh, retail laptop under warranty that fails is about 15 days, 15 working days at the moment. So the warranty is actually better, uh, arguably, than, than, than on, on regular new machines. So I think a lot of companies, you asked whether companies are seeing that. There is a lot of people who, who still need their, their mind changed on that front. And there is the, the prevailing idea out there um, misunderstanding that factory refurbished means secondhand. It does not. It's anything but. Um, and we, we, we've never done secondhand machines, nor would I promote them. I mean, it's fine. By all means, maybe another business, it suits and it's a good way to go if you get a really good deal. But factory refurbished is different from that. Um, and it, I suppose right across the board, we try to promote that. Um because it just means uh, it's very good for the environment, but also it's very good for the pocket and for the budget of that company. And also it's very good for uh, for reliability because they end up not being cheated. You, I, had a, I heard a very good podcast um, over the weekend from yourself and Dusty uh, about, um, I suppose, designed obsolescence new equipment, some of the new Macs that don't have USB ports, don't have card readers, don't have various ports that we we know and love um, and that aren't reparable and aren't serviceable. Um, and, and the other side where operating systems, the newer operating systems aren't supporting older equipment. We're very much part of the right to repair movement coming out of the States, trying to get people to uh, to, 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 with force almost and with consumer force, um, promote that idea, share that idea and just change their mindset in terms of, do I really need to buy new or is there an alternative to that? What am I buying? Uh, what, never mind what it looks like, how robust and reliable is the equipment I'm buying for my business or even for my teenage student? Lastly, uh, I just want to raise a project you're involved with for the people of Ukraine at the moment. Just take us a little bit about what you're working on there. Well, that was very much an informal, casual thing on, on my end, and my brother's end. Um, we were asked by a friend of ours, um, we, we have a, a, a bit of property in town, and we were asked, do we have any spaces? And of course, that town is, is mental busy, and it's it, we don't have any spaces. And uh, I Look, I have to be able to do something because like all of us, I was just really, really moved and, and genuinely to tears many times over what's going on in, in Ukraine. And I said, yes, yes, I, of course I'll accommodate them. I don't know where, but give me a minute. And I thought, well, actually, I, I, I live out in Dunleary. I have a couple of spare rooms. And I thought, yeah, move them in there. There's times you know, where you, you kind of speculate to accumulate, as they often say, 
there's there's times when you make when you, I, I'm inclined to say yes to things and then go figure out well how the hell am I going to do this? Uh, it's just how I've managed to survive in business, and it it's it's prevailed in my personal life as well. So I said yes, and then I figured out what space I had. Then my brother got involved, and together we built a, a kind of a little apartment um, at the back of his house. And uh, we invited in two families. And you know what? No, it was The family is with me. It's one of the best things that has ever happened to my house. Is <laughs> a, a little girl. She's six and she's a violinist. And uh, then her, her mom was in, uh, I suppose she must be in her 30s. And her granny, and her granny is a powerhouse. She's She looks about 30, but she's, I think, I gather she's in her 50s or something, her 60s. And she's uh, she's the one who actually speaks English. And they're just wonderful people. And just to, fi- to, to firsthand hear what they're going through uh, and their fears for their, uh, for the little girl's father in Ukraine, who, by the way, employs 72 people in Ukraine. He's an architect. And now he's been given a gun and sent to the, the front line. So when you're actually talking to these people and you're looking in their eyes about their own husband or their own father, like, I don't know, the news is one thing, but when you actually talk to these people, it's it, it, it manages to cut that bit deeper somehow. And so we decided... We took them in and one of the local schools was very good to take in the little girl. And uh, then I decided, well, you know, but there's other families in the area and they're not getting, they can't even access their funds uh, for, for the most part. If they have money in Ukraine, their currency is, is obviously heavily weakened and they can't actually access much of it. And it's only intermittently when they can. Um, and so they really have very little. Um, so we decided we would use our kind of love of reuse um, and we put out a, a campaign to get people to bring in um, old, unwanted, well, not too old, but unwanted IT hardware. So monitors, uh, computers, laptops, um, and, and that we would, the lads uh, in here, um, our team um, very kindly agreed to use their spare time outside of hours because they're manic busy during hours. Uh, including myself and my brother, to actually refurbish and rebuild those and sell them um, for our own Ukrainian appeal. Now we'd be, we've, we've, um, we're giving that to to the local Ukrainian community in Dunleary. But the, hopefully, there's going to be more of that, and we're giving that on to UNICEF. Um, so um, it, it was it was really an informal thing that we decided to do purely to help them out uh, in the early stages. Um, they plan on getting jobs here, by the way. Um, they're, 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 re- they're very keenly learning English at the moment and it's improving by the day. They're really hardworking people and, and they're absolutely wonderful people as well. And uh, I suppose what, what hits us all is how close in mindset and um, their economy and just how they live and how they work and, and to the Irish. And maybe that's why we empathize to such a degree. Uh, and, and there has been wonderful response to both that and to um, just on a, on, on a personal basis to those uh, people that we've brought in, um, but also to the people we've met who have also um, hosted Ukrainian families or or given them 
clothes or money or um, schools who've opened their doors to them, um, you know, other kids, parents who've, who've helped out, parties, concerts. Uh, the little six-year-old in my house has a much more hectic social life than I do. There's been so many invita- invitations around the place. And it, 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 you know, in a world where we see a lot of things that make us cynical, I have to say, you know, this has been um, a real heart warmer for me. Uh, and and so um, yeah, look, the the appeal on our end is plain and simple. All the you know equipment that you don't need anymore, and you might you think might still have a life if it's rebuilt or refurbished or wiped or whatever or repaired. You drop it into Georgia Street, our main branch there, and uh, we fix it and we put it on our website, uh, and people can buy the stuff there on the website on uh, the Ukraine appeal se- uh, section. So it's not uh, a for, look. You do what you can. There's friends of mine who really like to do it, but because of their situation and where they live, they can't. Um, we've been lucky that we are in a position to be able to help in some way. Um, you know, being charitable or being kind, it, all it is is a function and it's just something you have to be mindful of and think of. And if, if you get a chance, then you do. And that's all we do. And that was Colin Baker from Laptop Lab. And you can find out more about the Ukrainian appeal at Back From The Future. .ie that uh, link in the show notes on your smartphone or whichever device you listen to us on right now that's it for our show this week do remember you can get the lowdown on all things tech in Ireland with hourly updates daily newsletters and more at our website techcentral.ie or of course you can check us out every week online or Fridays on RTE Radio 1 Extra until next time for myself Dusty Rhodes at Niall Kitson as always thank you for listening and have a great weekend Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie. Tech Radio is produced by digitalaudioproductions.com. Tech Central.